0: a little bit about what I'm going to share today. I I don't know. Uh, For me, at least, I don't have a process and how I end up with kind of some, uh, some notes sitting in front of me by the time I come up here. I'm sure professional church guys do. They have a, a system or a process where they kind of uh, can come up together with a message. But for me, you know, sometimes it's a bit like a journal entry. It's just what I've been learning, what I've been thinking on. You know, sometimes it's a little bit more like a research project where maybe I'm putting a bunch of things together and almost just assembling it. And then sometimes, you know, well, I just steal it. And uh, that's where we are today. Uh, The message I'm about to share with you, I basically just stole it. And so uh, I've been working for, for the last few times I've spoke, I've kind of been dancing around or circling around what it is I actually wanted to say. And uh, I just said, about a month ago when I, when I first heard this message, I kind of thought to myself, man, I wish I had written that. And then I realized, well, I'll just pretend like I did. So uh, that's where we are for today. And uh, in fact, this is a message uh, that is very, very strongly based on something that Andy Stanley once shared. And you may not know who Andy Stanley is. This is Andy Stanley. And of course, you may also know his more famous, or at least more uh, uh, long-lived, if you will, uh, pastor, his dad, Charles Stanley. And of course, his twin brother, not a lot of people know about, uh, Flat Stanley as well. And of course, uh, I'm I'm just kidding, of course, uh, Flat Stanley and Andy Stanley are not twins, although... You know, maybe they are. I'm not sure anymore. But, uh, you know, if you think I'm making fun of Andy Stanley, I'm certainly not. In fact, he is by far one of my favorite speakers. And I think, you know what, if I was to rank all of my favorite speakers uh, of all time, kind of a top three thing, I think it would look a lot like this if you look at this here. So the first one, number three on the list would actually be Andy Stanley. You know, he's, he's a master communicator. He's funny. He's engaging. I love listening to him. I think my second favorite would actually be Mark Vanderweer. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He's, uh, he just wears his heart on his sleeve. He's, op- he's open and honest. I'll be honest, a bit of a crybaby, but we love him all the same. And my favorite speaker of all times is actually, well, it's me. And uh, you may be surprised by that. And if, actually, if you know me at all, you're not surprised that I would say that. But I- I'm proud to say that for the last six years, I have been the number one ranked Kingsway guest speaker Based simply on number of appearances. I mean, if you base it on content and how much people enjoyed it, I'm not even in the top ten. But number of bookings, I am number one, and proud of it. So, uh, so anyway, we're going to kind of borrow heavily from Andy tonight in a message that he called the missing ingredient. I'm simply calling it the last leg, and uh, it's really kind of this this idea that I've been trying to share the last few times I spoke. Just looking at why is there such a gap between our good intentions and our actual behavior? Why is it not lining up in all times of our lives? And you can also ask it this way. Why is there such a big difference between the act of making a commitment and the act of following through with that commitment? And, uh, you know, last Sunday, Mark talked about that. And I, off pe- people have often said to me, do you and Mark kind of like work together on your sermons? And do you know what he's going to talk about? And does he know what you're going to talk about? And the answer is usually No. And I was, I was very happy to hear him share at the beginning of his sermon last week where he explained, you know, this idea of mistakes and this idea of why is it that we kind of keep coming back to these mistakes? And we're going to kind of touch on that as well. Uh, and even more so, I think I would say maybe what we're going to try to do tonight is, is, is simply say this. Why is it that you can have a very strong conviction about what's right and what's wrong, and yet you can't seem to live up to that conviction? And maybe it's because it's just a short period of time, maybe for a season or a month or a week, or maybe it's just for five minutes, you can kind of keep up with it and you live the way you wanted to be living. But then eventually you find yourself in that moment where it's like you've made a poor choice, you've made a bad decision, you've made a mistake, or you've fallen into sin, use any of those definitions. But you find yourself in that situation, often wondering why. And we all have had those times in our lives, the times where we've known the difference between right and wrong, but for some reason we've, we've gone with wrong. And some of you right now have a bit of sinking feeling in your stomach as you're listening to this, and that's probably for one of three reasons. Either number one, you can remember very vividly that time in your life, and it's not bringing back great memories for you. Or maybe number two, you're actually currently in one of those difficult times right now where you're working through that, and it doesn't feel very good to be there. Or possibly, it's because you figured out, I'm probably going to ask you to share during our discussion time tonight about one of those times, and you are now desperately searching for a way to excuse yourself from the meeting. And uh, if that's the case, you're kind of trapped. You're just going to have, to have to wait it out. But think about it. How can you make a commitment to something? And it's of your own, your own decision. You've made a commitment. You have a conviction. You've made a commitment, and no one's making you. And yet... Weeks, months, years later, you find yourself having walked away from that conviction and that commitment, and you find yourself doing the sort of things that you would have hoped a year before or a month before or a week before you would have had no part of. And it may be because you have made a commitment, sorry, it may be that you've made a commitment to better someone else's life. But you know what? Most of the time, it's a commitment you've made to better your own life and yet you still struggle to follow through. The same is thing it's the same as true for convictions we have about right or wrong. You know God wants you to do certain things a certain way, and he knows you wants he wants you to avoid other things and stay away from them, and we all know it's true, but we can't follow through. Why do we do that? Why do we do that even when it's for our own good? And the answer is this, or the answer may be this, that we assume that a strong conviction And a a hard-held commitment is going to be enough. And many of us can look back in our lives and say it wasn't. But let's be honest. If that was enough, you probably wouldn't have any bad habits, and you would probably have a life free from all regret. And my guess is that's not the situation you find yourself in. So if convictions are not enough, and strongly held commitment to those convictions is not enough, then we may need to acknowledge that there needs to be a third pillar or, if you will, a third leg on our stool. Because if we have a stool that has only two legs, we can probably teeter on that for a time, but eventually we're going to find ourselves sitting on the floor. So to ask yourself, why would you break a promise to yourself, about yourself, to the benefit of yourself? But it's true for everyone. But it may be even more true if you're a Jesus follower, because you simply know that God said it, I believe it, and I want to follow it. But we don't follow through. And sometimes we act as if we're kind of old one. You ever been in a situation like that where you've really been working hard on kind of getting rid of a bad habit or stop making a poor decision over and over again? Maybe it's a sin in your life that you've kind of been battling for a while, and you start to make some headway, and you start to feel like I'm getting better at this. And then in that moment of weakness, you end up kind of feeling like your old one. Like, you know what? I've been so much better so lately. This is not going to be a big deal this time. Can I tell you that doesn't work? And can I tell you it doesn't work in our society in general? I've never heard of anybody robbing a bank and telling the police afterwards, it's my first time. I haven't done this before. What do you say we let it go? We don't live lives like that, do we? And so we miss, but what it's important to understand is that we often misbehave before we misbelieve. We don't wake up in the morning and decide that we're no longer going to care about the things that we cared about the day before. We no longer believe in all those convictions and we no longer have a commitment to do better in our lives. Instead, we find ourselves in these moments. We might call them moments of weakness, but we find ourselves in these situations where we choose to compromise. And what we learned is, and this is something we learned last January when we talked about drawing a line in the sand. What we learned is, when we talked about Daniel, is that compromise doesn't make life easier. Compromise just weakens our resolve in the future. And it's all about that guilty feeling then. When you compromise, you have that guilty feeling. And so when we misbehave and it goes against what we believe, we start to feel this tension, this guilt, and it doesn't feel very good. So sometimes what often happens is, we start instead to change what we believe. Sometimes it's like we're, we're trying to use guilt as that third leg in the stool. But we know that it doesn't hold up to the weight of real life. And so instead of being crushed under the weight of that guilt and that feeling of hopelessness, we start to change what we believe. Because if you no longer believe something's wrong, then you won't feel that tension when you're not following it. Think of, it, think of it this way. If, if you're someone who's uh, in the habit of lying to your spouse, eventually the guilt starts to weigh very heavy on you. So what some people choose to do is they start to say to themselves, well, it's not a big deal. They don't need to know. It's just a white lie. I'm doing it for their own benefit. And we change what we believe. And so for someone who's, who's uh, stepping out on their spouse, they might say the same thing. A year before, they would have been shocked at the idea that they would do that. But in that current situation, they start to change what they believe to ease that tension and ease that guilt. And that's what we're really going to talk about today. And that's this third missing component. If it's not guilt, then what is it? And we're actually going to take a look at uh, that in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. And if you're trying to find where the book of Hebrews is, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of hints. You start at the back and flip forward. Can I just say, though, feel free to use the table of contents. People, I don't know what it is about going to church, but people are afraid that if they see you using the table of contents, they'll know you're like a pretender or something. I use the table of contents all the time if I can't find it because I hate flipping and never finding it. Uh, if it helps at all, in my Bible, it's on page 1219. It's where Hebrews 3 starts. Um, probably not true for you, but wouldn't it freak you out if actually that is the right page? Then you would think God's speaking directly to you. So we'll go with that. But uh, just as we kind of step into that moment where, we, uh, where we're looking at Hebrews 3, I just want to remind you, though, the context of what we're saying here is that conviction and commitment may not be enough. And that guilt will not fill in. Uh, in the short term, you may act a certain way because of guilt, but eventually, it leaves you empty. It leaves you hopeless, and we don't know who wrote the Book of Hebrews. It's kind of it's kind of a, kind of a, a lot of shorthands. We're in the New Testament. Generally, if a book is written, uh, if the if a book is named after a person, it's either that person wrote it or it was written to that person. Uh, usually, if it's a location, then it probably was Paul writing to a church in a place like the Colossians, Corinthians, uh, um, Ephesus, you know, that sort of idea. Or in some cases, we kind of have where, where Paul does a bit of both, where he sometimes writes to people and he sometimes writes to places. But of course, because Paul wrote so much, there is no book of Paul. But as, uh, that should be enough time to kill as you found Hebrews. But Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, but we know who it was meant for. It was meant to a group of people who were Jewish believers, just period, not in a certain place, not certain people that uh, the writer would have known directly. It was to a group of people. And even more so, we just simply say it was to a people. And so that's important to remember as we move through. But we're going to take a start with here in Hebrews 3, verse 12. And it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, I want you to notice, this isn't a personal command to an individual. It's so much larger than that. He is saying to a group, he is saying to a number of people, he says, look around and see what's going on within your group. And the, and the New uh, Living Testament and the, uh, the New King James Version, they used, instead of that word sinful, they use that word evil. But I actually prefer to use the word sinful there because I think it's much easier for us to kind of grab a hold of. Not a lot of people I know are willing to, you know, put themselves in the category of evil. It's a difficult word for us to sometimes wrap our heads around. But we're talking about people who have sinful, unbelieving hearts. And this this word, though, this word, turn away, if we just put it back on the screen for a a second here, unbelieving heart, that turns away from the living God. You know, that's an interesting word because that word talks about a process. And actually, when you look it up, there's dozens of different ways you could kind of look at that word. Um, but, but really what it says is this, this, this departing, this drifting away, falling away. It's actually the same concept of a waterfall, but not a waterfall, not the action of the water going over. It's actually the, the action of the, the cliff of the waterfall slowly being eroded back over time. Niagara Falls used to, used to erode backwards about a foot a year, which means every year the waterfall was actually a foot back from where it is now. It's actually less now because there's less water going over it. But it's that sort of slow moving away. It's, it's, it's very much a process. And the implication is this, that we all have the potential to slowly drift away. And if you think that doesn't apply to you, then chances are it applies to you more because it's not something you're watching for. Many of us can look back at our lives and we see that slow process of turning away from something, but even if we can't, we have to admit we understand that there's a potential for that. Do you think of so many messages that you've heard where you've come to church and you've been motivated, you've you've heard something that's really convicted you or or kind of built this this feeling of connection, and sometimes it might even bring you to tears, but in that moment you think, for now, until all of eternity, I will feel this way, I will act this way. And it's kind of a quick process to bring you there, and then a slow erosion, a slow moving back. And so if commitment and conviction are the two, I would say, easy pillars that church can do for you, because just coming to church, you will hear things that build in you some conviction. You'll hear things that God says that will convict you. That's what God's word does. And you will become committed when you see other people who are committed. It builds in this kind of, this sense of commitment, but that's what church does, and that's what we do every single week, night or week, sorry. But the writer of Hebrews, he goes further, and he tells us that we need to add to conviction and to commitment. We need to add this third pillar so we don't drift away. And we're going to get to that right now as we go into Hebrews 3, the next verse, verse 13. It says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, I want you to notice know he doesn't say try harder. He doesn't say, learn more about this subject. He doesn't say, go out and find some more willpower. He doesn't even give us an admonishment for our poor behavior. He says, encourage one another daily. Now, this word daily, I looked it up. I took a peek at the Greek, the original language. And what that means is, that what that word daily means, it means every day. And a few words later, when it says today, what today means is today. I won't give you much of an explanation of how calendars work, but if you think about it, every day is kind of today, right? You may move across the days on your calendar, but we call that today, no matter what it is. And I don't know about you, and I'm sure this is not all of you, but for me, I kind of roll my eyes when I hear the word encouragement nowadays. I hear this word encouragement, and I just think about, you know, empty platitudes and things that are meant to encourage, but have no power behind them. And I think about things like this, these motivational posters. You've seen these before, right? And it's just a beautiful picture and the word motivation. And I mean, that's great. But when I see that, where my brain goes is something like this. I look at that picture and I say, you know what? If a pretty poster and a cute saying is all it takes to motivate you, you probably have a very easy job. You know, the kind that robots will be doing soon. Or how about this one? individuality. Have someone ever encouraged you? You just said, you know what? You're special. You're unique. I agree. But I look at this, and what it leads me to think is, you know what? Always remember that you are unique, just like everybody else. Or how about this one? The sky is the limit. I love that. What does that even mean? The sky is the limit. And all I can think to myself is, yeah, it's too bad you can't fly. I'm not sure how that's supposed to help. Or maybe one of these, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. I like that one because I look at that and I say, believe in yourself because the rest of us thinks you're nuts. Look at this guy. Or how about this one? I got a few more. You are special. How can you go wrong with that? You are special. But then I look at that and I think to myself, you know what? If you require additional affirmation beyond me telling you you're special, then you should get a puppy because the rest of us are busy. How about this one? Hope. I mean, a man got elected to be president of the United States for two consecutive terms with the slogan of hope. But I look at this and I just think hope may not be warranted at this point. One, a couple more, couple more. Spread your wings. That's beautiful. Spread your wings. Because until you spread your wings, you have no idea how far you can walk. And finally, last one, just about your potential. Someone ever tried to encourage you about your potential? And if that's all they say to you is you have potential, my brain just immediately goes to listen, not everybody gets to be an astronaut when they grow up. I mean, that's, that's I'm sure that's my take, and I'm sure many of you are, are mortified right now, but that's what I think of when I think of the word encouragement. I think of these empty platitudes where it's supposed to make you feel better, but when you're all alone at the end of the day, you're realizing, I don't think I heard anything there that makes me feel better. And, and, uh, and I just want to stress to you that uh, this word encourage in verse 13, that's not what that word meant. It didn't mean say nice things to see if you can get people to smile. It was a much different word. In fact, I, I promise you that the writer of Hebrews, at no point would that person have said, you go, girl, would somehow count as encouragement. The word encourage means to urge, to exhort, to confront, to come alongside, to spur into action. The word also assumes relationship, and this is so key. You see, normally, if you can say, "Normally, this wouldn't be any of my business," but, but I see something going on with you. I, I notice something going on with you. I'm worried about something going on with you. Can we talk? Because I'd like to help. That's the type of encouragement is talking about here. This idea of connection is huge. You know, when when Moses came down uh, with the Ten Commandments. I think we often, we focus on those 10 rules so quickly. We forget how God began that exchange. Before he gave out those tablets, he said, I am your God, and you are my people. He built this, this covenant, this connection with his people. And from there, he went on to speak into their lives. You know, I think the same thing if, if, you, uh, if you have uh, a bunch of kids living next door to your house. So you're living in town. Maybe you've got a Dutch family. There's 10, 12 of them running around the yard all day. And could you imagine that at the end of the day, you've just had dinner and you get up and you walk over and you walk in the front door of that house and just kind of wave on your way through the living room, just saying, I just got to check in with your kids real quick. You go up and you assemble all those little moppets in front of you and you simply ask them, who's done their homework? And a couple of you may believe and a couple of you might be asked to check, you know, bring me that homework. I'm not sure if you've done this. Do you imagine doing that? Well, of course not, because you have no connection. You have no relationship that would say this is appropriate. But would you expect a parent to do that? Do you expect a parent to say, let me see your homework. I want to make sure you've done it because it matters to me that you're doing your best. Well, of course we do. It's all about that, 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 that piece about connection, that, that, that encouragement needs to come from people who know you. It's not these empty platitudes that are handed out like, like candy. And the writer says, you know, yes, you need to be committed. Yes, you need to be convict- convicted, but you also have to say yes to being connected. You know who gets this? Probably far better than any church. Alcoholics Anonymous gets this. They understand that you, when you come because you are convicted that you need to change, and you're committed to making that change, Now you need to get connected with people who can support you. And it's more than just a a once-a-week meeting. It's a sponsor who speaks into your life, somebody who you learn to trust and trusts in you and knows you well enough to know when you're struggling and has the courage or perhaps even just to say has the guts to say something when they see it. You know, it's partnering with people who have permission to be a part of your life. And when does this happen? Daily, Every day that is called today is the day you're to be doing this. And the problem is not that you're not convicted about the right things, and it's not that you lack commitment to those things that you believe. Those are important. If you didn't have those two things, you'd have a, you'd have a stool with one leg. Those two things are important, but it's that third piece, that connection that is so key. And why? Well, let's go back to the end of verse 13 again. It says, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And that really brings us full circle, doesn't it? How guilt can bring us to the point where we actually are willing to change our beliefs. We will actually let go of our convictions because the pain of guilt is too much. And so when the writer of Hebrews comes back to that, he really brings it full circle and says, so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceit. And let me just ask you this. Have you ever had a friend who you consider to be fairly wise, fairly, fairly on the ball, and they've, and they've told you an idea that you think is a little bit out there. I mean, just picture they burst into the room and they come up to you and they start telling you this idea about a new career or a new purchase or a, a new wife. I don't know, whatever it might be. They're really excited about this, and you've got this smile concreted on your face as you listen. And you listen and you nod because that seems the appropriate thing to do, but in your head, you're just going, is he serious? Is, is he actually serious about this? And as soon as they leave the room, you're like so, so kind of uh, set off by this that you call up some mutual friends and you say, have you heard this idea? And they're like, yeah, I can't believe it. That's just, that's terrible. That's a terrible idea. And then, and then you pause and you kind of listen for each other. And you finally say, well, what should we do? And the response often is, well, we'll pray about it. Wouldn't it have been powerful if you felt like you could speak into that life and just say, hold on a minute. This worries me. Hold on for a second. Are you sure about this? Remember, because if this has happened to you, where you've had somebody burst in the room and tell you this terrible idea, there's probably somebody sitting with you right now who's thinking of you when they tell that story. They're remembering the time you burst into the room and said, I just got a 2% raise at work. I'm buying a Mercedes. And they had that concrete smile on their face like, are you nuts? You know, let me ask you this. Do you have someone who has enough access into your life that you would say those sort of things to them, that you would give them a warning, that you would let them know that you have a concern, and more importantly, do you have a good enough relationship with that person that they would listen and care? That's what you had to say. Does anyone in your life have permission to give you insights into your own foolishness? Do they know you well enough, and do you trust them well enough to listen? If not, let me ask you this, are you truly comfortable trusting your own convictions and your own commitments to those convictions, knowing that you're missing one of those legs on your stool? Because according to the passage in Hebrews, it's not just a matter of you and God figuring out how to take care of things. It actually says in the final verse that we're going to look at today, Hebrews 3 verse 14, these three verses have all been in a row, it says this, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original convictions firmly to the very end. You know, the component of people, the component of connection added to those convictions and that commitment, that's what brings us to the point where we, where, where we actually start to come together as a group of people and say, I'm growing more like him because of the interactions I'm having. And can I just, can I just say this just as we wrap up? It's his spiritual as praying. It's as spiritual as asking God for direction, direction in your life, and it's as spiritual as opening up your Bible and looking for wisdom. It's just as spiritual to connect with other believers and share your lives together. It's not an add-on. It's not something that just extroverted people like to do, and the true introverts, just like me, pull away from. It's not what it's meant to be. I, I, my favorite person to talk to is me. I talk out loud to myself all the time. My wife always wants to know what I'm saying, and I just tell her, hey, this is just for me. It's a, different, it's a different thing to be able to say, I understand that the knowledge that God has instilled in others have a role to play in my life. It's not enough to have some deep convictions. You also need some deep connections. And it's not enough to have some strong commitments. You also need to have some strong connections. And so this is why at Kingsway we focus so much on small groups and Bible studies and home churches. Why? We'll go back to verse 13. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, church is so important. The gathering, coming together is so important for those first two legs where we can be taught and we we can build on those convictions and understand who God is in our lives. And we can be committed because we come together. We raise our voices together when we sing. But we also need to know that church falls short when it comes to connection. It falls short with that third leg. And it's really because of this. It's something that Mark always says. He says it's really hard to grow in the rows. But you know what? It's also very hard to connect in the rows. Because as soon as you start connecting during the message with somebody else, you're going to get shushed. If not by each other, by me. You're going to get shushed. It doesn't work that way. But if we can use church to make some introductions, to bring some people together, to start some studies and small groups and home churches that can become that third leg for so many people in our church, that's what we want to be doing. I don't have an exact number on how many people have fallen away during COVID from our own Kingsway family, but I can tell you it's too many because I can tell you that it's not zero. And so as we think about those people, I, I, I don't want us to be a church that just hopes for the better in the future. We want to be the church that does better in the future. And so one way we might want to do that is by joining a group. And I'm going to use this moment to just advertise one more time for Starting Point. Starting Point is starting this coming Tuesday. It is not too late to register. I don't care how many people have already signed up. We will make as many groups as we need to make sure that anybody who wants to join Starting Group can Find a, find a home and starting a group. It's an eight-week study, which is great. You're making an eight-week commitment. You can do that. You can absolutely do that. Because can I just remind you for the last time, this is not an add-on. It is an integral part of your faith. And if I can say one more thing, I would simply say this, and it's time. Let's pray. Lord, just so thankful, so thankful for a church where we can, we can come together, not just to hear your word and to be in your presence, Lord, but we can be here for each other that we can connect in a meaningful way with each other. And Lord, I, I don't know what uh, the coming year will look like as far as COVID restrictions, but I just, w- I just would want to know that people are connecting with each other as they connect with you, that we are building this almost triangle between, between those we know and care about, between you, who we love, and ourselves, that we can be strengthened by that. And Lord, I just pray for this, this entire church, for those who are happily situated in a small group, in a home church, in a in a Bible study, I'm so thankful for that, Lord, but I, I just know that we want to include more people in that, and so, Lord, I ask that you would move in people's hearts this week if starting point's not for them, have them reach out to me to mark to anyone and just say, "I wish there was something I could join." And for those who are on the fence about starting point, uh, Lord, just give them a little nudge. Give them a little nudge and let them know that this sense of community, this sense of connection, is not just an add on for those who like other people. It's part of your plan for all of us. We read about that in Hebrews today. So thankful for you, Lord. So thankful for this church. We just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.